Hello again listeners and welcome to episode 29 of the Just Checking In podcast. This podcast as always is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas and start conversations. I'm your host Freddie Cocker and I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of Vent. As you may know by now, each pod I check in with a special guest. We have a natter about all things mental health as well as anything and everything else they are passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we'll discuss it. On to my special guest now, and this person who is, is someone who I've been trying a very long time to get on the pod, pretty much since I started it, and I'm delighted she has finally put some time and a, a, little, a little slot for me to, in her very, very busy schedule. She's a very, very dear friend of mine, and someone who I do not get to see enough of these days, despite the fact we only live now relatively near each other, which is, uh, which is great, but she's been a big supporter of Vent, um, and me, since we became friends in our teenage years. She's a Vent champion. She did a Just Checking In written interview, which you can read on the site, uh, which was about a year ago now, I think. Yeah, yeah. a year and a half. Um, and she's a barrier smasher, an all-round queen. That queen is Miss Paola Bombo. Paola, or Paz, as she is literally known to every single person on the planet. Can't believe I've actually called you by your full name there. God, that sounded <laughs> a bit weird. Uh, is currently working as a data analyst. She's also former first team and club captain at King's College London University women's rugby team. Paz... Welcome to the Just Checking In pod, mate. It has taken us a long, long time, but we are finally here in your flat recording this pod. How are you? I'm really good. Yeah, it's so nice to see you. Haven't seen you in like since the get since the first Just Checking In live, which you came along to. Oh my god! Yeah, it was like how many, how long that, was that? So that first gig was last January, I think. Yeah. So for the listeners, we've known each other since our school days. So I joined my sixth form college. You'd actually left the all-girls version, yeah, or ver- yeah. sister school, should I say. Um, but I think we met at, a se- was it a 17th birthday party? Was like, did you randomly add me on Facebook? <laughs> yeah, it's, I, it's a bit of a blur, but we had loads of mutual friends. Yeah. And I think we just crossed paths at one point and it was like, right, this person is great. And we just bonded over like music and gigs. Pop and punk. Yeah. We bonded over a lot of <laughs> pop punk, mate. We're going to talk about it at some point in the pod. But... Um, I think it all went from there, didn't it? We we started getting... What, what was, like, the first gig? Do you remember the first gig we ever went to? Um, I don't know the first. I can't I, remember that. I know there was, like... We went to Yumi at was, six. Yeah. A few times. Bricks and Academy, I remember. Time. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Um, Biffy Clyro. Yes, at the O2. Yeah. We were, like, the first 150 people <laughs> yeah. in there. We were, like, oh, we're never going to yeah. get in. Um, and then we, yeah. <laughs> we were right at the front. Paramore. Yes. Yeah. That was... Re- there was that... Oh, God, that wasn't recently, was it? That was a, a uh, while ago now. Yeah. At Albert Hall. Yeah, the Royal yeah, Hall. Yeah. I think it was like two, three years ago. Yeah. Um, that was like a whim, wasn't it? Didn't I say like... Did, was it you who said or was it me who said, oh, I've got la- like last minute tickets? Yeah, it, I had. Lo- I got last minute tickets. I remember it was like the week before and they like resold all the ones that like people were trying to resell. And mm. I was like, right, I'm going because it's Paramore. <laughs> and I was like, mate, friends, you've got to come with me. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know what I was doing at that, that time. I, I think it was before I started going to gigs my own. So I was still a, bit, a little bit like... Oh, tentative, duh, duh, duh. and then you text me. You're like, "What are you doing tonight?" It's like, "Absolutely nothing." He's like, "Do you want to come see Paramore?" I was like, "Absolutely yes." <laughs> <laughs> you're like, "I was like, how much is it?" I'll just pay anything. Give me your money. <laughs> um, God, that they I mean they've they stopped now, haven't they? Yeah. Hayley's doing her thing, and she's a, she actually announced um, a, a little mini, solo tour. Yeah, yeah mini yeah. tour. She's going to be at uh, Brixton. A very intimate. We're giving her a plug. Not that she needs a plug, but we're giving her a plug for this tour as, on this pod. But yeah, um, God, now. We've got that out of the way. Shall we get started? Now, the first topic I want to discuss with you, Paz, is something which you only really started getting involved in which you, when you got to university, am I right? Which is rugby. Yep. Now, would I be correct and fair in saying that you had never played rugby beforehand? You'd never even picked up a ball? Like, what was the process when you start, when you've kind of got to uni, you were like... I'm just going to start playing rugby. Yeah, I never played rugby. I've never watched a game of rugby. And I remember being a fresher, walking through like the freshers' fair. Mm, the classic, and, the classic yeah. walk with all the little stalls. Yeah, yeah and yeah. signing up to, you know, just any sport. And I remember a woman, uh, a girl actually on the team, came up to me and was like, have you ever played rugby before? And I was like, no. And I was terrified. <laughs> I was like, 
Who is this person? Yeah. Who is this extrovert running up to him? And I was like, okay, I'll write my name down, give it a go. And then the next day I got an email being like, this is trials, you know, this time. And mm. I just showed up and it just went from there. Wow. And you just apparently were a natural. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it, it took a while because obviously I'd, I'd never like, you know, played something as vigorous as rugby mm. and um i remember the first training session actually we the coach made us do a fitness test so bleak test <laughs> yeah. so he made us do like suicides and like a like a little like assault course type thing and that was horrible but mm. I, I stuck to it for some reason mm. and how did you find learning how to tackle <laughs> um yeah, it's nothing that you can fully prepare for unless you like start playing a game because you could do all the drills and like do it, use mm. a tackle pad but when you actually tackle someone you know but you don't know yeah, yeah, someone yeah. that you don't know running at you at full pace is, is very different mm. but yeah you get used to it mm. and so what did, what do you think inspired you to give it a go did you think like obviously there's, there must have been a bit of trepidation before you actually went to the trials you didn't know anyone there obviously you were going there you might have had you know, preconceptions about what rugby is, who yeah. plays it, so to speak, you know, who is it for, is it for me, yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah, I definitely, ha- my brothers played rugby actually and I, they used to come home with all their injuries and I'd be like, right, I'm never doing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I kind of just was like, right, I'm going to try something new, I mean, uni, a new walk of life, I'm going to do it. And I kind of like forced myself, right, I got the kit and everything, I didn't know what I was doing, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. what studs do I buy, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and just showed up really nervous um but like everyone was so nice and they obviously understand that the majority of girls had never played before and mm. they tried to make it as welcoming as possible mm. and how did how did the sort of rugby fever take hold after that like how long was it before you were like an absolute rugby nose <laughs> you kind of, you kind of, I, I think it was a mixture of um you know it being a, like quite sociable where everyone you know everyone would be like oh we're going out we're doing this today we're watching rugby games and i started to you know watch more and more watch like to study it yeah 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 so like you would be like all right watch a rugby game to learn how to play mm. and then you kind of get like addicted to it and you start following teams mm. and start following players and stuff mm. so i reckon after about a year i was like hooked yeah and how did you figure out what your best position was did you sort of just get shoved out on the wing and then yeah. you sort of loved it there or <laughs> shoved out on the wing i was pretty quick so yeah i got put on the wing and then um i did that for about two years mm. and then i think once i got more like more senior on the team, um, it was like, you know, we want you to be more in the game and stuff. So I, I put, got put at flanker, which was... Oh, I thought you were going to say centre, not, no, not flanker. No, centre. No, flanker, yeah. I, I ne- I've never played a centre. Um, I got put at flanker and that was fun. Um, a mo- a lot so you just more got impact. told to hit people. Yeah, a lot more <laughs> impact. Um, and I, I loved it. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> mm. Very much a Thierry Dussetois than a, than a, or a James Haskell rather than a Tom Croft yeah, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um... Smasher rather than a distributor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, women's rugby is, is very much on the up these days. I, I believe I'm right in saying that you went to, well, at time of recording, you went to the women's um, international Six Nations game against Wales yeah, this weekend. Because yeah. I, I watched that on YouTube, actually. Um, God, Hannah Bottom's a bit of a player, isn't she? She is amazing. Jesus. Yeah, I'm, I'm in awe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's very much in the... And I, I, when I watched that game, I thought the quality is... For the, from the last game I watched, really, really stepped up. Um, it, and it was, it was a really great game to watch, actually. Obviously, it's still a massive battle, even for the England ladies, to get funding they didn't need, attract the audiences they deserve, although that game was pretty much a sellout, I think I'm right in saying. Mm. Um, outside of France, of course, because that... I mean, I watched the England-France game, and that was that stadium was next level. Yeah, and that really much was, you know, mirroring the men's game in atmosphere pretty, pretty well. Just tell me about your team at Kings, the challenges your team faced and, and how you dealt with it, whether they, whether that be financial or even sort of sexism as well. Yeah, there's definitely um, an imbalance as much as um, the student union tries to, you know, level like the women and men's teams. Um Obviously, the men's team, they get a lot more guys in. They have three teams. You know, there's a lot more things going on. But it was... We always found an issue with, like, the funding. Um, Sort of, we'd have to kind of, like, do everything ourselves, if that makes sense. So if we wanted to find a new coach, we'd have to, like, you know, do that. So the leadership team would have to, like, look yeah. at, go out and sort yeah, of actually... So the yeah, sort it yeah. out rather than the student union just getting some, someone in. Um, and, like, that 
sort of related in in a sort of like a sexism way as in like you know the girls team isn't as good as the men's team when in reality we were as good even better like we were we you know we were going out there winning games winning varsity um so I think the student union was really trying but there was still a thing where it was like you know because they're the men's team they're a bigger team there was a lot more sort of handed to them Mm. than our team do you feel like the culture gravitated towards them as well you know obviously uni 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 culture is very much and a lot of unis rugby centered and uh the rugby men are almost lauded in some in some university do you feel like that 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 hindered your ability to get the recognition and credit you deserved yeah yeah we kind of fell under the umbrella of university rugby so all the you know the stigma and that attached to the men's team kind of rubbed off on us but you know we always tried to make a point that you know we play the same sport but we're a different team you know whatever they get up to we so you distanced yourselves from them they weren't get they weren't getting up to great behaviors then but it's not distancing them in like a bad way it was kind of like anything negative we tried to just not let that relay on us as well so were your initiations a little bit less horrific and traumatic then we we were we were nicer yeah, <laughs> yeah we were yeah, definitely yeah. nicer <laughs> um if we're if we're being honest Paz the traditional view of rugby union is that it's a sport well people that think it from the outside is it's a sport largely played by white straight middle class privately educated men now, in university culture, that's probably quite a true stereotype, although there probably are some, some exceptions. Now, it's fair to say you're pretty much the antithesis of that because you are a black, working-class, gay woman. Now, yeah. were, you aware, were you quite hyper-aware of this going into the sport before you gave it a go and how people might perceive you or judge you? Did you actively want to smash some barriers or was it simply a case of you loving the sport of rugby? Um, I think it was a mixture of both. I definitely um, had an idea of the sort of like fan base or whatever that the sport attracted, but I was kind of like, you know what, I can do it too. And so can other people, whether they conform to the stereotype or not. And I just loved playing. So Mm. I was like, I'm not going to let any judgment, you know, hinder me from doing something I love. Did you ever face any discrimination or even racism as a player um, on the pitch an opposition player or, or off it and, and what impact did that have on you and your um, health? I can't really pinpoint anything on the pitch. That's um, good. Yeah, that's, that's good. Great. That's a great sign. We were actually. very disciplined mm. and so were like teams that we played. Mm. But, you know, um, historically, like you, like rugby chants were, you know, you nowadays wouldn't be as accepted as they were when they were created, for example. Mm. And so I know that we have stopped you know, chanting some stuff that we think could be offensive to people. So in terms of that, there is there was some, but, you know, we sort of got around mm. it. And, sort of and did you ever face any sort of maybe conscious or subconscious racial bias when you told people you were a rugby player, if that makes sense? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There were, I, yeah, there were, there were no... Uh, <laughs> I think when I first joined, um, yeah, I was one of a few uh, black people playing rugby. It's not really I mean even if you look at professional players um it's not really dominated by black people so um yeah and would you, were you conscious as well of the fact that you know with a lot of black players whether this is a subconscious thing or a conscious thing a lot of them end up playing as wingers or not the sort of brains of 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 the team so <laughs> to speak if that makes sense you know you don't see a lot of black fly halves scrum halves I mean there's a few notable exceptions mm-hmm. um um, definitely. Or aware of it, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was definitely aware because when you do look at, you know, for example, the English team, you know, you have the captain and all the experienced players, they're like white, like privately educated, probably guys mm. and who've been playing since they were young. Whereas um, someone like, you know, myself, I didn't, wasn't really exposed to that. I didn't like go to a private school or anything. Mm. I wasn't introduced to rugby until a lot later. So um, I feel like a lot of technical um, sort of positions on the team are sort of dominated by that sort of like group. Mm. And as you began to love the game more and more, who was your sort of idols in the women's game that you looked up to? Imagine an obvious one would be World Cup winner Maggie Alfonsi for a lot of very obvious reasons because you basically are mirroring the same (laughs) sort of identity. But were there any any others that you watched on sort of YouTube or or television when it was shown um, that you thought 
I want to be like them or sort of model your game on as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. Like, fun fact, Maggie Alfonsi, um, we met her. Um, when I feel they, like there was a picture of you together yeah, years there's, there's ago. Yeah, a picture yeah, of us together yeah. when, they, when they won the World Cup in, mm. in Paris. And, um, you know, she came over and she, we had a little chat and I was like, oh, I, pl- I play uh, wing and fullback at that time I was. And she was like, oh, you're probably quicker than me. And I was like, <laughs> absolutely not, but I'll take it. <laughs> um, yeah, there's definitely uh, a lot of like idols like Elliot Green, uh, Portia Woodman, Heather Fisher, people who I look up to and I'm like, I want to be them, I want to play like them. But also outside of rugby as well, they advocate for a lot of things that I care about. So those are the people I kind of look up to in life and in rugby. Mm. And you obviously were a bit of a natural when it came to <laughs> rugby pads. You became first team captain in your final year, is that correct? You're also your third, third year at university? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What was that feeling like when you were given the armband? Oh, it was really emotional I think mm. I cried for about two days <laughs> um yeah I was just so I just so like surpri- surprised obviously mm. but also so happy that um the girls on the team were confident in me being their captain and they all voted for me because we do like an AGM sort mm-hmm. of thing um and they were like right yeah we're gonna vote for Paz and you know I did my speech and and they and then when they announced it I was like this is amazing right this is it was a challenge, obviously, at times, you know, being captain as well as being, like, third-year uni. You're mm. kind of, like, doing it's a lot, lot of things. Yeah, yeah, doing a lot of things at once. Um, but I was I was so overwhelmed, but I was really happy to do it. And did you have a strong sort of leadership group around you that, that helped you kind of grow into that role as well? You know, did you have a, vice, a good vice-captain or some other players that were that were able to... You were able to rely on, on, on the field and off it when you had some difficulties? Yeah, we have a really strong and supportive committee. So, like, the president of the team. And, yeah, we had, like, a vice-captain, like, treasurer and stuff like that. And you'd also get support from the coaches and the student union. So it wasn't something that you'd have to go into battle on your own sort of mm. thing. Mm. Um, you were supported a lot. And I can't thank the people enough who were on committee with me that year. Mm. They were awesome um before we go on to the sort of mental health aspect of, of being the captain paz just tell me about some of your favorite stories of being in the team you know some of your favorite games tries you score but there's a few players that we can shout out on the team as well on the pod um i think one of the funniest uh, games i had and it's funny because there's a picture of me actually doing it and they reuse the same picture for like posters and stuff all the time it's probably, um, something problematic we, about that about that probably as well is somewhere we, we, if we, uh, we, if we analyze playing. it we were playing LSE and um, I had the ball, I got tackled and I sort of like, you know, the whole let go thing mm. and my shoe fell off. <laughs> and so half the people kind of like stopped and was like, wait, her shoe fell off. But I kept on running, <laughs> scored the try without, with one shoe on. It was great. <laughs> it was very notable. Um, but yeah, no, shout out to all the like a lot of players during that year, I think the year I was captain, we had a record number of signups. We had about 45 solid um, people t- coming up to training like every week, which was amazing for women's rugby. Um, but yeah, shout out to all, all the people who are like currently still on the team and still are supporting, still coming to like watch games and stuff. It's insane how like, you know, people graduated years ago are still supporting at Varsity and like active on the group and stuff. Mm. And who are your, some of your favourite friends that you made from that time, that connections that you're now, well, you're, you're still in contact now, but you've made through rugby basically. Definitely my girlfriend. (laughs) 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 I I suppose she deserves an honourable mention. Um, Yeah, sort of like best friends um, and stuff like that. People I still speak to. um, We we actually went to watch a game yesterday with a a handful of alumni and current players mixed. And it's just so good to see that mixing, if that makes sense. Mm, Like everyone kind of knows each other. So it's like a little like family. Mm. It's really really great um mental health is obviously something that means a great deal to both of us paz and we'll talk about your your journey later on in the pod but as a captain how did you ensure that the kcl um women's rugby team was a positive environment for the girls mental health and how did you you yourself support individuals within that team if they were struggling both on the pitch and off it yeah, we, we have a, um, a sort of like system in place, sort of like we have like rugby mums and daughters. So every person who joins gets um, like a rugby mum, uh, which is sort of someone senior, more senior on the team who they could go to if they need to talk to and sort of things like that. And um, they look after each other, you know, on nights out or if, you know, not like outside of rugby Mm. so it's um and those people you know become friends obviously Mm. and yeah we sort of just like all support each other but when people are having issues and stuff like that it's not 
taken lightly for example like um for example so it's we're quite like an open and you know welcoming team it's obviously a really outdated stereotype has yeah. um in university rugby culture or university sports culture i should say about women's sports teams particularly football and rugby i found that oh it's all full of inverted commas butch lesbians now first of all did you ex- ever experience that stereotype and discrimination and second of all how did you sort of deal with it as a team and, and as an and in, as as an individual as well um yeah it's definitely the stereotype that we're all you know we're all lesbians and stuff like that um that we received um you know from other teams even really and, yeah and oh, wow. also a case if we were trying to recruit people to join that would kind of be like you know the the stereotype that they'd put on us mm. um but obviously we have we are welcome team whether you're you know gay lesbian whatever you can join our team we don't discriminate um against anyone and we also try to um make it so that you know that we try to like sort of like erase that stereotype in the sense that you can join whoever you are however much experience you have if there's any girls listening to this Paz and they want to start playing rugby at university or even beforehand school preschool primary school secondary school whatever it may be what advice would you give them definitely do it (laughs) (laughs) no it's um it's obviously something to try if you've never tried before obviously if someone who's never played would think of rugby, you know, I don't want to get hurt, you know, I've never played, I can't do it. But I think it's just important to go out there and just sort of, you know, if you're interested, you know, why not try it? I made, you know, my best friends, people I still talk to. I found like a love in like a new sport. And it's something that has really helped me on just sort of like my journey from when I first joined um, being a little fresher, being 18 years old to like now, you know, I love the game and it's just, I can't imagine myself not playing rugby almost. Sounds really cliche, but mm. it's become a really big part of my life. And what skills do you think it's giving you in life at the moment? So whether that be social skills mm. or, or soft skills as we call them, and also other things as well. What, what, what things is it giving you that you now treasure, that you, th- that you now think, wow, if I hadn't done rugby, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't be like this now, basically. Um, I definitely <laughs> learned to, you know, work with other people, whether it be, you know, training in your own team, playing games, interacting with other people, um, and also being captain, you know, you've got to lead out a, a team of 23 every week. So, you know, you're doing that, that's a lot of responsibility and you have a lot of people looking up to you. So it's definitely helped with communication, being social as well. You've got to be a talker. You, you know, not just a, a doer, which is obviously quite important. Um, and also, I just think generally just working, whether it be like the coach or the student union, that sort of side comes into it as well. We talked about Paz the rugby player. Now I want to just delve a little bit deeper and talk about your own journey. So first of all, just, just tell me about your early life, your teenage years, and whether looking back, were there were there any mental health experiences that you can pinpoint um yeah so i was born and grew up in east london um and i went to a grammar school uh with county which was sort of you know everyone there did a test to get in everyone was pretty smart quite high achieving um the school was dominated by you know south asian was a predominant race there and then after i left to go to sixth form to latimer in north london and um, that's where I spent two years, did my A-levels and went to King's College London for university. And I stayed there until I graduated last year and now I'm working as a data analyst. Brilliant. Now, I spoke with, uh, on, a, on a previous podcast, Paz, with my friend who I went to the county and I went to university with him, Rob Parks, and he spoke about his experiences of being mixed heritage um, in, in Ilford County with me. Um, being one of the few sort of black men in um, in his year group, and we had we had a sort of shared experience in that I was one of the only few few white boys in my in in our in our um, in our school as well. In in Woodford County, how did that affect you, being a minority? Yeah, um, obviously I was aware that I was one of the very few black people um, at my school, but I didn't sort of didn't learn didn't let it affect. The whole point of why I went to school, I was there to get an education, and um, and it wasn't you know a, a big secret or anything like that. <laughs> People knew there were minorities. They mm. knew that most of the school was South Asian, um, but it was 
it wasn't a, a racist environment to be and I didn't feel left out, you know, mm. I didn't feel discriminated against, mm. which is lucky for me, but I know obviously other people's experience might be a little bit different. Mm. You're someone who's always been, you know, very articulate, very funny, and most of all, very kind. Did you, did you ever face any difficulties from other people sort of not conforming to their racial stereotypes about how black girls should, in inverted commas, walk or talk like? Yeah, definitely. I think... Obviously, when people meet me, I'm, I'm quite loud, I'm quite out there. People, <laughs> That's why we got on. Yeah, anyway. People assume, you know, I'm sort of like the angry black girl. We don't want um, to get on the bad side of her. We don't really want to talk to her. We don't know how she'll react to things. But I think um, I, I, you know, I talk to anyone. I, you know, introduce myself. And I think as people got to know me, they kind of saw this side of me where I wasn't quite the stereotype. Um, and so, I mean, that's how I made the friends I still have today. Mm. Now, you switched schools when you finished your GCSEs and then you went to Latima. Now, was that a culture shock again from going <laughs> from a school that was predominantly South Asian to, I think Latima was fa- I mean, fairly mixed or fairly white? Was, yeah, I, was, is that majority white, but yeah. a, a, bit, a bit more of a mix. Mm. Um, yeah, second culture shock. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, again, I've, I've, I think at that point, I kind of got used to being the minority. Mm. Um, and although, although there were other black people there, um, it kind of felt that, um, you know, I was doing subjects like maths and physics that, you know, aren't the typical, you know, subjects that someone from, you know, African heritage would Mm. choose. (laughs) Um, so, but I felt like, you know, like, when I joined the school, I was like, I've got to, right, I've got to find the black people, I've got to stick together, <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. But again, at Latimer, I didn't get, I didn't feel discriminated against, I didn't feel left out. You know, mm. I had a really diverse group of friends. So um, luckily, it really wasn't an issue for me um, at school. Mm. Now, before we get to university, powers, there's a very big moment in your life that happens when you're 17, which is you coming out as gay. Now, first of all, when did you first realise you had feelings for, girl, as, for girls and, and how did you react to to that before you got to this point um i definitely first realized when i was an early teenager mm-hmm. um i kind of was like right um this feels right mm-hmm. <laughs> this is kind of how yeah it's kind of like got in tune with how i felt and mm-hmm. i was like oh my god this is a thing mm-hmm. um and then but obviously i didn't really start start to accept that until i kind of left the girls school because mm-hmm. i didn't want to be did you, think, did you feel like there was a stereotype yeah, of like going to an all girls school absolutely. and then being gay or something like that? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't want to be the stereotype. I didn't want to be the person who was the gay in the girls' school. I didn't kind of want that label attached to me. Mm. So I felt a lot more comfortable with it when I was outside of school and when I left school, when mm. I left the girls' school. Mm. And just talk about your coming out story now and that process. Now, how did it happen? So what made you at that moment decide to come out? Who did you tell and, and what was their reaction? Um... I <laughs> trying to think. Um, I definitely told one person, mm. and then that person kind of didn't realize that I was the only person that I told, and right. <laughs> that it sort of spread. But oh, it was right. it wasn't like a, a like a gossip kind right. of thing. It was kind of like, oh, she likes girls, okay. and it was like, okay, um, and it was. There's a lot more hype to it than mm. what I experienced, mm. and then I started dating someone. Um, at that time and it was kind of like oh right she is into girls mm. and that was that <laughs> and then when did you um first tell your mum and dad about it um definitely a lot later mm-hmm. um I felt more comfortable talking to my friends first than mm-hmm. talking to my family which I think might be the case for a lot of people and um it's something that I didn't straight out come out with all at once mm. it was um a gra- more of a gradual thing and was there a reason for that um, definitely my parents, um, are quite conservative Christian. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's that, you know, it's condemned mm-hmm. in Christianity. So I didn't want to... some parts of Christianity, which is that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I didn't want to be, um, I didn't want to kind of shock them with too much at once because mm. I obviously knew they were religious mm. and, um, you know, they were sort of also really surprised, which I find really hard to believe. <laughs> Well, anyone who's spoken to you for about five minutes. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, but they kind of got to terms with it um, gradually. Uh, but it, I'm not going to say it was easy. It was mm. quite difficult mm. to do that, um, especially with like the majority of my family are actually mm. um, Christian and conservative. So mm. it wasn't an easy kind of walk. Mm. And was it was it any was it easier to tell your brothers about it or your siblings? I should say. Yeah, definitely closer to my brothers. Because um, yeah. you're one of is you one of three or one of four? One of five. One of five. Jesus. Yeah. So you is it you and four brothers? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Well, being one of five, um, you know, <laughs> you, you're trying to you know, put your foot into into the door somehow. And where do you where do you fit along that? I'm fourth. Fourth. Okay. Yeah. So you're like me. I'm third of four, and you're fourth or fifth. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm definitely closer to my brothers than I am to my parents. Um, they, they, you know, they they grew up in London and everything like me, so they they understand, you know, that people could have other views, people could have other like feelings and thoughts and like sort of ideas and stuff. And who did you tell out of your brothers first? Um, it was my oldest brother okay. actually, which is weird. Shout out, shout out. Who's your who, what's your brother's, oldest brother's name? Andreas. Andreas. Shout out, Andreas. Yeah, he's um yeah, it, it, which is weird because I'm not as close to him, but. It was kind of something that he he uh, definitely saw, you know, social media and stuff, mm. um, and kind of asked me about it. And I was straight up was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so he asked you? Yeah. Oh, okay. It, so it wasn't like you built up the courage and. Yeah, told him. it was. It was. Um, I was kind of like, well, I'm not going to lie, but um, <laughs> yeah, he, he definitely asked me about it. And, uh, and what was his reaction? He was he just like cool. <laughs> he, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he he was not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> A bit more attuned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and was kind of, and this was before I actually told my parents, and mm. so he was like, "Well, he asked me, kind of like, are you okay with telling them? You know, they're gonna find out eventually." Um, and um, he sort of offered me to support that, you know, no one else had done in my family before, so that was nice of him to do. Mm. And just tell me about that first few weeks and months after you came out. Was it was there any sort of change in your behaviour? Was there any sort of like that that rush of acceptance that okay I can go out now and I can just be myself what was that sort of process like um I definitely personally felt a lot of weight come off my shoulders Mm. just even telling one person I was kind of like phew all right like only 99 more to go (laughs) 99 more people to tell but um definitely when I came out to myself I felt a huge weight and then it got easier to you know tell other people about it Mm. and I wasn't going around being like I'm gay it was more of a if we'd have a conversation and that would come up I'd feel a lot more comfortable speaking about it Mm. than having to like you know hide away or avoid the conversation Mm. we just mentioned it previously there that you're very proud of your African heritage and and specifically your Congolese if that's if I'm correct in saying Mm -hmm. now in a lot of African countries not all I should say there is quite widespread homophobia with some countries still having laws that criminalise criminalize homosexuality, prison sentences and, and even death in some very extreme cases. Was this ever something that you felt very aware of, maybe scared by before you came out to not just your immediate family, perhaps your wider family as well? You know, do you think if their reaction was, was negative that it, would, that it could have more profound consequences for your mental health? Um, definitely. <laughs> yeah. It's only natural, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It, it's obviously criminalised in some countries, which I think is ridiculous. But um, obviously a lot of my family are still are like still going back to the Congo and, you know, from there and stuff. So I thought that sort of mentality would pass on to even, you know, cousins that um, are Next generation, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so that's definitely one thing that I was scared about on top of the religious views. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I've, I've never been to the Congo, but I know if I, if I went... I wouldn't be as, you know, out about my sexuality mm, mm. B- because of that reason, mm. um, which unfortunately is the case, but it's something that I also have to be safe about as well. Mm, of course, of course. We should also point out that you are a gay black woman, mm-hmm. but being gay is just one part of your identity. It's not the whole part. Why is that important? I think that sexuality is obviously part of everyone's life. Um, and it's something that we have to embrace rather than see differences between people. And for me, being gay sort of comes with a whole culture, if that makes sense. Like, you know, we have gay pride, we have, you know, gay clubs, we have, you know, gay groups and sort of all that stuff and like agendas and stuff. And so I thought it, I think it's important to, you know, not, you know, 
scream and shout about it but it's just important for sort of like knowledge and to um sort of you know especially for sorry especially for kids who are like struggling with their sexuality it's something to it's something to be like you know it's okay and that it's not a problem if you know you're gay or you don't know it's it's accepted by people in the world and I think stuff like gay pride and having like gay spaces and sort of like initiatives like LGBT and stuff like that is really really important mm. now for any of the listeners who, who might who, who might be listening to this and and be struggling to come to terms with their own sexuality what would you say to them I think definitely I know I've screamed about you know coming out and mm. stuff I think it's definitely okay to not come out exactly if you're that's not what ready. we should also say yeah yeah it's it's definitely okay and it's also definitely okay if you don't actually know who like what it is you are you know a lot of people were like you know I'm lesbian that's it you know I know I know I am but a lot of people also might not know and they might just be like well I'm not straight I know that and that's definitely okay because you don't have to label yourself if you don't want to it's not a case of you know, you can only be one of the LGBT, mm. right? You can be anything you want, but you're still welcome within the community. Mm. Now, just going back to university, Paz, and it's fair to say this is when your mental health really starts coming to the forefront. Now, in, in 2013, during the second half of our freshers' year, mm. you said in a Just Checking In written interview on Ben, that, quote, I really started to understand what mental health was and why it's important. I went from cancelling on friends and staying in alone to quitting jobs and having to take a break from my studies. Just tell me, first of all, how your mental health started to become something quite difficult to manage and then how it manifested itself into you making those decisions, some of which were quite big, we should say. Um, it was definitely gradual. And I think the transition from you know, being at school and going to university um, was difficult for me. Your world becomes a lot bigger, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. definitely. You, you know, you, you're a lot more independent, but you're also not quite an adult because you're, you're still like studying and stuff like that. So you're not fully dependent. And I really did struggle with, you know, the adulting life, <laughs> as you might call it. And um, yeah, so it slowly started with me kind of, you know, not be feeling like I wasn't able to talk to anyone about it because I wasn't, you know, I didn't know what was available to me at the time. Mm. And so I just thought, you know, if I could keep to myself, that's okay. And then that sort of like snowballed into, I can't leave the house today and, um, you know, I can't go to work and I can't actually, um, you know, do my degree. Mm. And that was, that was really hard part of my life. Mm. You went on to talk about how your lived experience of anxiety, depression was the main driver of these actions. Now, if you could, just, just tell me a bit about how both anxiety and depression affect you in your day-to-day life and how it started affecting you then. Let's, let's start with anxiety first. Um, I've, I found myself being anxious in um, a lot of social situations, especially mm. when I'm meeting new people, um, which, you know, I thought was natural, but um, when it comes to, you know, trying, like the big events that happen like avoiding people like actively doing that and you know um being quite recluse i felt that you know there's something wrong here it's mm. not you know this is not normal mm. um and i still feel that to this day um mainly because i feel a lot of pressure being you know the loud and out person of the group i feel like i need to kind of live up to that all the time mm. and i get anxious. always on yeah. yeah i get anxious when i can't do that and so um that's when I'm like, right, I can't do this. I don't feel good today, but I need to tell myself, you know, it's okay. <laughs> mm. It's always okay. Yeah. And and just talk about to talk to me about a bit about depression as well, and and how did that sort of come to start affecting you in 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 that period of your life? Um, it de- yeah, it, was, it definitely came hand to hand. Um, I think I was getting depressed because I was anxious about you know not being good enough and stuff like that and. Mm that came that rubbed off on you know not being good enough at rugby not being good enough at uni like my grades and just um also the self-esteem spirals yeah Yeah. and and also you know trying to like like coming out to like my family as well like being like oh i'm not good enough to be in family you know Mm. they they condemn like Mm. my sexuality Mm. um and yeah that's sort of like all married together and into like a lump of you know, very depressive thoughts. Mm. One line that really struck me in the interview, Paz, and it's, well, it's literally my life 24-7, is when you said, 
Sometimes people think I'm pissed off at something, which is why I'm not talking. I just feel very anxious. <laughs> My word. I mean, I wish people didn't always have to make us feel on all the time. Is this something that you struggle with, with now as well as when you were going through it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said, I'm quite like the joker and mm. like, you know, the funny person group, quite talkative. And when I'm not doing that or when I'm quite reserved uh, on a day or something. People notice it. Yeah. People, and that makes you feel more anxious. <laughs> yeah. People do really notice it. And um, I think the more I get to know like friends and stuff like that, um, I kind of just want to be like, I can't be this person all the time, even mm. though I'd love to be. Mm. <laughs> and so people think something's wrong, um, which sometimes it's just not. Sometimes I'm just having a down day and, you know, I just want to, you know, keep to my thoughts. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of pressure to be the, the that person all the time. Mm. I think I'm fair in saying, Paz, that, that your mental health struggles were a big reason in why you ended up staying at university for longer than the, the three-year course that you originally signed up for. Just tell me how that happened and why. Yeah, um, I kind of dropped out and uh, didn't really know what to do and sort of was, I was like, oh, what, I do, what do I do now? And so I started working and then that kind of didn't happen. Mm. Um, so, and then during the time I was out of uni, I kind of learned to sort of listen to myself more. And I was like, well, and I was thinking, I was thought to myself, well, you know, yeah, most people do a degree in three years. You can take as long as you want. It's still a degree at the end of the day. Um, and it was, I think, taking the time out and sort of like, you know, breathing between, you know, years or whatever really helps me a lot, like, get through it all. Because mm, it's very full on, isn't it, the university? Yeah. And I, I mean, now that we're out of that bubble, that final year was just, you almost kind of go on automatic pilot when you're doing those dissertations. Was that something you struggled with? That sort of very full on sort of bubble that you're ensconced in all yeah. the time. It's, yeah, you know, you're living, breathing, studying, you're around students and sometimes it gets really overwhelming. Mm. Um, but I think it's important to say that, you know, if you do need to, you know, take a break, it's okay, it's fine. Most people do it in three years, you could do it in 10 years. Mm. Um, and I needed someone to come in and tell me that, which really helped me and I was kind of like, well... I'm doing it, I'm doing it anyway, like, it's not a bad thing. Mm. And when you were going through all that you went through, Paris, did you ever tell anyone about it, or...? Um, I definitely didn't start. I tried to, you know, kind of keep it to myself. Um, but I think as I got... As I made, you know, more trusting friends and stuff like that, it, I was a lot more open about it, um, especially with, like, school friends as well but also like girls from on the rugby team and it got to a point where you know I was I was openly fine with telling people like this is what's going on in my life and mm. this is why I you know am not here and this is why I'm taking some time out mm. and when you finally did sort of start telling people what was that like and what was their reaction it was very refreshing mm. for me um their reaction was a lot better than obviously I expected. I that's why I was anxious. I didn't want people to know. I didn't want people to know I was struggling. But um, everyone was very supportive, and obviously understood um, that this happens in life, and mm. you know you've got to take the necessary steps. Mm. And when you finally did graduate, did that moment feel even bigger than it might have been if you hadn't gone through what you did? You know, was there an even bigger endorphin rush, or was it just a massive relief? Oh, both actually. Um, <laughs> It was, I was so happy that day. I, I was like, I mean, like five years ago, who would have known? Like I was, you know, I was like sitting at home and not doing anything and stuff like that. But, you know, it was a really, really like happy day for me. And like my parents came along and like all my friends, like we went out afterwards and it was like such a, like such a relief mm. uh, that I actually did it. And like, I didn't even like care about like my grades at that point. I was just like, right, I wanted to finish and I didn't. And I was like amazing mm. and now you're out of university and into the working world you also wanted to talk about how you're one of the few working class black and gay women in your workplace now for anyone seeing people who look like them is is a really big part in feeling accepted in society and in the environments they interact with in their day-to-day -day life how have you found this lack of vis visibility affect you um it's definitely it's two things actually which may contradict each other I definitely am encouraged to work harder just because, you know, I want to be noticed. I want to be, you know, as good 
or better than other people but not in a bad way but kind of being like I want to be that person I want to get that promotion but it's also um you know sort of like made me realize the underrepresentation of um people like me in the workplace and how I want to work towards making a more diverse workplace whether that be having initiatives or mm. whether that be you know anything did you feel do you feel pressured or more pressure as a black person to have to work harder than a white counterpart um I, yeah I, that's something I, I've definitely experienced a lot of black friends have said to me that they feel that pressure to do more than they yeah I, 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 I definitely want to be the, the hard working person I don't want to be seen as a slacker and I don't want to make mistakes like, yeah I kind of feel that I'm kind of be like well if I make a mistake it's a hundred times worse mm. just because I'm the only person like me if that makes sense mm. and and just finally um going back to your sort of university period what were your sort of like lowest and high moments during that during that part time of your life what was the kind of the breakthrough moment where you thought I can actually kind of get better and what what were some of the really tough moments um obviously a really tough moment is when I had to make the decision to um you know step away from like the uni bubble a bit um and sort of feeling like I was sort of alone in my experience um but <laughs> a high moment is obviously um you know t- playing rugby being captain that whole year was a massive high for me um and eventually graduating mm. Now, for anyone who might be listening to this podcast and might be struggling um, with a period of life at university where they might have to drop out, they might have to put off a year, what advice would you give them from your own experiences and what message of hope would you give them? I would say it's definitely more than okay to talk. Um, You'd be surprised how supportive people are around you and how common it is, actually, because no one who goes to university has, you know, a straightforward experience all of the time and has a lovely time all the time and um, also universities student unions are quite good at offering sort of services and support to help um, whatever students are going through as well excellent our final topic of conversation Paz and it's one I have with all of my special guests which is a general natter about our mental health so firstly how would you say your mental health is the moment mate definitely better Mm -hmm. um i'm kind of going for a period of uh, starting a new job and having to get used to that and it's it's had some challenges going from being a student for a number of years to you know being a real adult in the real world and you know paying taxes and stuff like that is definitely been a challenge and a roller coaster as well um but at the moment, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling quite positive about everything so far. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Um, if you felt comfortable saying, what mental health issues or conditions do you live with in your life and how do they affect you? Um, if any. I definitely do get depressive episodes mm-hmm. um, and that could come, you know, that could be triggered by sort of stress, uh, which recently yeah <laughs> and um also by sort of like the weather i, I get you know depressed episodes like seasonal maybe. affective disorder would that be right and so yeah, yeah like it definitely to play with seasons i get um you know when i can't be active and when i can't do things that i you know i do to like take time out i it does affect me quite a lot mm. and what age do you think you were when you first realized that these feelings you were having weren't physical and they're actually in your mind um I was definitely about 18 or so. Mm. Um, but at that time, I still wasn't 100% sure. But I knew, you know, I've, I've read about it. I got exposed to it a, a lot more. Um, yeah, I would say around that time where I started to think like, wait, this is something that, you know, this is mental health. Mm. Yeah. And what things do you find in life that trigger your mental health? So this could be things people might say, sounds, sensations, etc.? Um, yeah, like I said, definitely uh, it goes by seasons um, and also periods where I'm really stressed or when events happen. So uh, around this time last year, I kind of broke my foot uh, in a rugby game. <laughs> and, where um, else? <laughs> yeah. And um, that really did affect me because I felt like I was a burden on um, my girlfriend who I was living with at the time. And you're um, not? 
yeah and just you know I wasn't able to do what I wanted to do like it would be hard for me to get up and go to shops for example and that really put a downer on you know anything that I wanted to do Mm. and what tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health or help you feel better you know which ones have you found that worked and which ones maybe haven't um definitely exercise I like to you know sort of put my headphones in be at the gym that really does help a lot as cliche as it sounds um but I don't know why like (laughs) a release of energy (laughs) is um my go-to sort of thing and also um listening to podcasts actually um listening to people talk about you know anything and everything is actually um something that I recently um used to help myself when I'm sort of going through depressive episodes or feel anxious hope you listen to a few of mine as well Um, how do you support friends in your own social group who may have mental health issues or just might be struggling with their mental health? Yeah, I'm definitely an open person about everything, I reckon. Um, I mean, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) So if um, someone is, you know, feeling like they want to confine to me about something, I'm definitely someone that won't take it lightly. Uh, I'm quite serious about it and everyone... um, I believe that everyone does know about my experiences with mental health, so... Hopefully they can, they think that I'm someone that they can come and talk to about it. And, you know, I'm, I'm quite supportive as well. Mm. And I like to sort of like share what I know and sort of like how to help people. Mm. And for people who might be listening to this pod, um, why is it important that when you are ready, you speak out about your mental health? And why is it important that we don't bottle it up as well? Because how bottling up is personally the worst thing that you can do just because obviously I had a terrible experience trying to keep my feelings to myself and felt a lot better when I finally got the courage to start speaking to people about it because um you know sooner or later you know the pressure is going to get a bit too much for you to handle yourself and and I think it's okay for you know if you need support from someone else it's okay you don't have to 100% you know feel like you have to support yourself all the time Mm. as much as you want to and um I think that's got to be something that's like you know people need to like know like people are in the people around you that do care about you and they want to help you as well Mm. in those difficult moments Paz what do you think you learned about yourself I definitely learned that um I'm a quite shy person (laughs) um but also that smaller things affect me uh more a lot more than some bigger things might be might do so I find that a lot I get anxious over really small things oh well I think they're small anyway um and that sort of like works its way up and overthinking yes yeah yeah, that that's that's a big I'm I'm an overthinker Mm, um (laughs) And I sort of learned that it doesn't always have to be a huge traumatic event that triggers mental health issues. Um, yeah, that's kind of what I learned in, you know, my year away from life. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's all we've got time for on this 29th edition of the Just Checking In podcast. Paz, thank you so much for checking in with me and being my special guest. As always, thank you to all the vendors who've tuned in. Remember, if you like what you've heard, please give this a share on all the usual social media channels. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it. Or, if you're feeling very generous, write us a review on iTunes. We hope to check in with you again very soon. And remember, it's always okay to vent.